KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast, and we are wishing you a happy new year. I'm Jay Scott Smith here with Brian Seltzer and Sabrina Boyd Circa back at it after about a week and a half of just vacation that was much needed for Christmas and New Year's as we now set off into the year 2022. Brian and Sabrina, what do you have as, I guess, New Year's resolutions as we start yet another new year and the second full year of the rundown? Hmm. Good question, Jay. One that I probably should have seen coming, yet feel entirely unprepared for. The first thing that comes to my mind is, I want to spend less time on my phone. I want to spend less time on the scroll. That's my resolution. A lot less screen time. Yeah. I think we could all use a little less screen time, unless, of course, we're actually, you know, working here, but we all use a little less screen time. <laughs> what about you, Sabrina? You know, in, in that light, a couple of my friends posted their like Goodreads stats and how many books they read in 2021. They read like 50 books. I think I've read four. So maybe less reading on a screen and more reading in a physical book. But I don't really, I don't usually get so into the New Year's resolutions. I like to uh, reward myself for progress rather than like the end, always setting my sights on the end goal. I watched a video my husband introduced me to, Natalie Tran, who is a YouTuber, a community channel is her YouTube channel, and apparently now she posts like once every five years. And she came out of the woodworks to post this video about New Year, New You. I'm spoiling it a little bit, but the idea is like, you say New Year, New You, so you're going to be replaced. We're going to bring in a new you to take over, and the old you has to go somewhere else. So, I, I mean... I always find those things funny. It's like overnight I completely changed and now I'm going to be fit and do all the right things. And yeah, so this this is me kind of shrugging my shoulders at New Year's being like, yeah, it's a it's a Monday. <laughs> it's definitely a Monday. You mentioned the people wanting to suddenly get fit. So, of course, this morning I go to the gym and see a couple of unfamiliar faces suddenly walking around in there, taking up a little bit of space. And I and I'm not going to say too much because at one point I was that guy who looked really unfamiliar in the gym. But now after. But you stuck with it. Four consecutive months of just not missing a day, even during Christmas. I don't know. I've never been the big New Year's resolution guy either. It's been more or less just trying to. If anything, it's trying to continue to keep doing what I'm doing. The, the goal is to always try to get better each day, learn something new each day. That's what my mom says it all the time. If you're not learning something new, what are you doing? That's my whole thing. They learn something new every day and try to just keep it pushing. I know this is a new year, but this is still the same local news podcast. This is the rundown. And we got a lot to catch up on as we open up the year 2022. So let's get to our first rundown of our headlines for 2022. And we start this off with Philadelphia's New Year celebrations that were back at it this year, albeit the Mummers Parade did get postponed by one day because of just that lovely weather we had here on Saturday on New Year's Day. Now, Charity Howard was there yesterday, and she spoke with Jeff Goldman, who's been a mummer for the past 10 years. And here's what he had to say. Yeah, it's my first time not marching on New Year's Day, so it's a, it's a whole different experience. The crowds aren't as large as they were pre-pandemic, but hundreds of people have made their way to Broad Street. Like Katie and Omar, who say they just wanted to join in on a Philly tradition. Due to this pandemic, they couldn't come out last year, so this year is a thrill. I'm so excited. So we're all out here just having a wonderful time. Yes, it's my first time. I always watch it on TV, and this year my friend was like, come on, we gotta go, I'm taking you. 
the Mummers Parade is as much a part of the Philly landscape as cheesesteaks and pretzels and, and Eagles games. It's always an interesting way to start a year. I'll say that. Yeah. You know, there's been so much controversy about the Mummers in the past couple of years. I don't know about you guys. I feel like I heard nothing but positive things this year. People were excited that they were back. They were excited to go out and see something cool, see a classic Philadelphia tradition after a, two years of, you know, not being able to do so much. So it really felt like a celebration. Yeah, when I lived in town, I really did love getting into parts of the city, mostly South Philadelphia, where really the family vibes, the deep-rooted family vibes of South Philly come out for the people sitting on their stoops along South Broad Street. They have parties, they entertain, they you know do a lot of cooking. The thing that will always fascinate me uh, about the Mummers and... Tread lightly, Brian. I, I think I think this is fair to say. You guys can correct me if it's not. These people, men or women regardless, for the most part, they seem like they are gruff, rough-and-tumble people on the exterior out of costume. However, for this one day, they somehow, uh, depending on what brigade you're in, you have these intricate, elaborately decorated costumes that take such fine craftsman or womanship. I'm blown away. To me, it totally is contradictory to the perception you might have of the people, by and large, who occupy the suits. And then some of them can really play their string instruments fantastic. So to me, that's always like the great um, oxymoron, I don't know. Contradiction or... Yeah, contradiction, the juxtaposition of Mm. the mummers. (laughs) People get so into it, too. I was watching some of uh, John McDevitt's videos of the Indoor Fancy Brigade competition, which I didn't realize was a competition. I'm learning more and more about the Mummers every year. They compete. They put on these, like, Broadway-style shows. It looks like when I did show choir when I was growing up, except, like, even more elaborate. And John, of course, was there. Here's uh, some of how that went. That was on Saturday. Twelve member clubs competed in the Fancy Brigade finale shows. They each performed four and a half minute Broadway style numbers. Spectators' vaccine statuses were not checked. Just face coverings were a must. Despite the pandemic, spectators filled the seats inside the convention center. Among them, Judy McCain of Washington Township, who was wearing a sparkly happy 2022 tiara. What brings you guys out here, uh, elephant in the room, pandemic? You got to come out and support them. You totally got to come out and support them. That was John McDevitt from Saturday making note that, yeah, this is still we're headed into season three of COVID now. So we are still dealing with this pandemic and got to just hope that people were actually playing it safe out there. But the Mummers were not the only thing that was done here to bring in the new year. There was a fireworks show. There were multiple fireworks shows for New Year's as well. Yeah, the new thing was that they had two fireworks shows, one a little bit earlier and one at midnight, I believe. And John McDevitt, of course, was there as well on Friday. Happy New Year! Kyle and Nicole Smith of Cinnamon's and brought their five-year-old son, Kellen, to the fireworks show. But what do you like about fireworks? I, I like the, the, the colors because they, they make like black or yellow, green, blue, purple, pink. Yeah? And yeah. and what's your favorite color? All of them? Um, couple. Like, I like red and green. You like red and green? Yeah. Such an adorable little dude. Between John and Hadass, they tend to find like the cutest little kids just to talk to for these things. Right. If anything is going to make you feel good coming into the new year, it's a little kid who is as excited as that kid was about fireworks. We had a debate in our household. We watched the fireworks on TV with our toddlers. At what point 
are fireworks no longer exciting? Like after the first five minutes, the first 10 minutes, what is your threshold of excitement level for fireworks? I think I've got about three to five minutes in me, and then I'm starting to taper off a bit. That's fair. You know, I think I was uh, more interested in fireworks before the people in my neighborhood started shooting them (laughs) off every night all summer long. So now I'm kind of like... That's enough. <laughs> I guess the the cool part of it for when it crossed midnight on New Year's Eve was randomly fireworks are just popping up out of different neighborhoods. So you don't really know where they're coming from. You just know that all of a sudden you hear the you hear that pop or it suddenly just kind of explodes out of nowhere. That's normally cool. But yeah, generally speaking, you probably got me for five minutes max, maybe seven, depending on the type of mood I'm in before. We kind of run out of the patience for the fireworks at a certain point, but it's still a really cool visual and a cool way to kind of bring in the new year. It's something that's very uniquely Philadelphia. Unfortunately, something that's not uniquely Philadelphia is this continued pandemic. And if you want to go out anywhere, you want to go to go to dinner, you want to do anything that's fun in this city starting this month, in fact, starting today, you're going to need to bring your vaccine cards. Well, we heard about the mummers where all they were doing was checking masks. That's not going to fly anymore in the city of Philadelphia is the vaccine requirement for places that serve food and drinks indoors kicks in today. KW City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb checked in on how the city's restaurants are preparing for this vaccine mandate. 30% of Philadelphia restaurants already require proof of vaccine to eat inside, so Health Department spokesman Jim Garrow says there is a template to follow. We've made resources available for restaurants on how to check to make sure that a record is a true record. And we're in the process of putting together materials on how to deal with people who, you know, may push back against them. Ben Falecha of the Pennsylvania Restaurant and Lodging Association says restaurateurs still have a lot of questions the materials don't answer, but they're generally supportive of the mandate. These restaurants just really want to do what's best for them and for the community, and they want to make sure they're doing things right. So we're trying to get as much information to them as quickly as possible. So that's another thing to keep in mind as we're starting to get this year rocking that, I mean, I, I we slightly joke about it, but this is going to be the third year of this pandemic, and we got to do something now to really help mitigate it, especially with these cases just going crazy all over the country. Yeah. Now, remember the sort of phase in two-week period of this vaccine mandate requirement, whatever you want to call it, you can present a negative test taken within 24 hours for the first two weeks. So you got a little bit of leeway, but if you want to go out to restaurants, arenas, anything indoors where there's going to be food and drink, you will need to uh, get that shot in the next couple of weeks. It sounds like restaurants are pretty on board with this. I mean, for the most part, from what we've heard in our KYW reporting, you know, where we are banding together and we're ready to do what it takes to, you know, we keep saying end this thing, but it hasn't happened in two years and end to this. I guess it's now to the point of getting some sense of normalcy, learning how to live with it. And one way is get vaccinated and then you can go out and do the things that you like to do. There's so many people to feel bad for during the pandemic, different demographics and groups of people affected by all of this. Restaurant owners and restaurant workers, for me, um, they're right at the top of the list. I mean, this has just been so much of a yo-yo back and forth for them about what they can do, what they can't do. You know, everything that we read about and hear about points to there being risks. But I do think, at least for me, I'm comfortable going into a situation where, quote unquote, a restaurant or an eating establishment does things right. And I think that there are a lot of them. You just walk through the city, you can see whether it's outdoor dining, 
space seating indoors, whatever. Um, I hope that this can, for this particular group, um, is something that be, can be sustained because we know it's been a roller coaster for them. They've been hit really hard. And I just give a lot of credit to the restaurant owners and workers who have been able to fight through this whole thing and stay afloat somehow. It's been a lot. It has been difficult. And we're coming up on yet another anniversary of COVID coming in. And it's not just the restaurants that have been taking a lot of heat for this. Kids are supposed to be going back to school as well. And some schools have had to return to remote learning because over the last few weeks, the cases have just exploded. We're coming off of Christmas, and that's the other thing. People are going to be coming back from Christmas, and we don't even know what's going to be in front of us over the next two to three weeks as you kind of get reintegrated back into your regular rotation. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fascinating, but in a not-so-good way to see what systems in our society feel the crush of Omicron. We've read how schools, what was supposed to be this first day back, waves of teachers calling out there's not enough of a pool of substitutes to pick from to fill these classrooms. And the other thing, too, is that new school boards that were elected in November are starting to be seated or already have been, which may or may not have health and safety protocols that would go against conventional wisdom when you have a variant spreading like wildfire. So there's so many things at play here and how these schools implement this. Hopefully there's a blueprint out there that proves to be the best one. I do not envy anyone in education right now. I've told you guys before, my mother, her very first day as superintendent up in Massachusetts was January 1st. So I guess that was Saturday. And uh, I got to witness while I was at home visiting her the absolute chaos of trying to figure out how to offer tests and PPE for teachers. And if they take a test on Monday morning and it's positive, what do you do? How do you get substitutes in that quickly? So I can understand why some schools went remote or are closed today. Uh, the Camden area schools are remote until after MLK Day. So that's January 18th will be their first day back in person. Uh, Pensacon in New Jersey and Reading, Pennsylvania are remote for a week. Lower Marion schools are closed for the day, reevaluating Central Bucks is closed today, not even as a precaution, but they don't have enough staff. They don't have enough substitute teachers to get in, so they had to close. How many times are we going to have that situation? I don't know. Schools are, are really, really taking a hit. And ultimately, the people who lose the most are the kids who are losing education time. We've seen it in just about every possible space over the last couple of weeks. I mean, all of this has been thrown into chaos because of really of COVID, but especially this particular variant. And it's running wild right now. And that also means you're going to need to mask up because I'm seeing more and more people masking, double masking. I'm out here double masking again. And it seems like it's even more important than ever dealing with this. And it also brings up an interesting question. If you are wearing cloth masks, just how safe are you? Well, we talked about this with KYW's medical editor, Dr. Brian McDonough. Companies and clothing designers have realized that if people need to wear masks, they might as well make them somewhat fun by elevating them to a fashion accessory. But just how functional are cloth masks with the emergence of Omicron and its rapid transmission? Scientists are recommending you wear a three-ply surgical mask for best protection. So what do you do with the designer masks? Well, you could wear them over the three-ply mask, but remember, they have to be washed after every wearing the three-ply masks, they can be thrown away after you wear them. That's one way around some of the 
issues. I mean, I found myself, I've got a whole rack of masks hanging in a closet in my apartment. And yes, I wash them. Like when you see people walking around with the cloth masks or the KN95 masks or double masking it up like some of us have to do, what are you guys thinking? You know, I have so many questions hearing that report. First of all, this is the first time that I've heard a triple layer, three ply. I haven't seen those. You know, the disposable masks that are usually given out at places are single layer, I think. Maybe KN95, is that is that triple layer? Where do you get three ply masks? That's the first I've heard of one, too. That might be the KN95 masks because those things are made to be like yeah. extra. But I'm with you, Jay. I have a bag full of masks that my mother-in-law made early in the pandemic when they were kind of scarce. And so we were grateful to have those. They're cloth masks. They're double layered. So I feel pretty safe with those. But sometimes I will put on one of those disposable masks underneath if I want to be extra, you know, one extra layer of protection. So I guess that's one way to get to three. One thing I started doing the last couple of days is I tried to color coordinate the KN95s with the cloths that I do have. So that way it just looks like it's a single color. <laughs> There's probably only two or three colors I could do that with, you know, black on black, white on white, you know. I had some holiday themed masks that had like snowflakes and and snowmen and Santa hats or whatnot. You know, they, they also make them for every occasion. So the disposable ones, I don't know about KN95 masks. They might not be decorating those, but the disposable masks, you can uh, combine fashion with function. No, the KN95 masks, those are all, that's about that business. It's all about survival. And I'm saying this as a guy who's got multiple cloth masks that coordinate with outfits. I've got masks that have got full on logos on them. They got the KYW mask, I got my Michigan State masks that I wear, everything else to try to keep them tightened up with outfits. But this seems to be, unfortunately, this is how it is now. One more thing that I think is important to mention in today's news when we're talking about COVID, the FDA just approved booster shots for kids as young as 12. So hopefully that will help with schools, as we were talking about earlier. I think the CDC still needs to give their final stamp of approval. But, you know, it's it's moving along. We're trying to do all the right things and just still figuring it out. We got to do everything we can to try to eventually get back in front of this thing to try to hopefully make 2022 the last year we're waiting knee-deep into the world of COVID. Now, coming up after this quick break, we've got some more good news. This time, we head over to New Jersey, and it deals with the subject of the minimum wage. We'll talk about that coming up. I'm Jay Scott Smith, along with Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer, and you're listening to The Rundown. This is The Rundown. I'm Jay Scott Smith here with Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer. And we get a look at some more headlines we've got today. And now we go across the river into the Garden State of New Jersey. And they do have some positive news to start 2022 as New Jersey will gradually start to raise the state's minimum wage. Steadily, Jay, steadily. That's good to hear. Up to $13 per hour effective January 1st. By 2024, the minimum wage is going to be up to $15. One of the finest products of New Jersey, Mike DiNardo, shed some more light on that for us. The pay boost is part of state legislation that gradually raises the minimum wage for most employees to $15 an hour by 2024. Bartenders, waitstaff, and other tipped workers will see their minimum rate go up a dollar to $5.13. The minimum wage for seasonal and small employers in New Jersey goes from $11.10 to $11.90 an hour. And the minimum wage has been a very touchy thing where that push for $15 an hour 
has become a battle cry for so many communities, no matter where you are in the United States. So to see this happening, it's a good step to finally push forward in that, to understand that people they're struggling out here. Meanwhile, the cost of living is very clearly going up. So it's time to increase that minimum wage. I also want to point out, if you heard Mike say that tipped workers, restaurant workers, your bartenders are still, I think he said $5 an hour, much, much less. That's less than the current you know, national minimum wage. So remember to tip your bartenders, your servers, any workers who you can tip. Please tip. Please be kind. And New Jersey is one of a, about two dozen states, I believe 25 states, that this year will be gradually beginning the process to increase minimum wage. Delaware also gave a little bump in the last couple of days as well. So slowly but surely, some progress. It is a good start to the year for workers in the Garden State of New Jersey. We come back across the river and things here in the city of Philadelphia are pretty good, too, particularly with a certain football team. Did you ever lose faith? Never. All right, look, we all laughed at him. Literally on this podcast, we actually did have a couple of giggles about some of the things that he has said during the season, but that was Philadelphia Eagle head coach Nick Sirianni. And apparently he knew what he was talking about when he was yammering on about flowers and fertilizer a few few weeks ago. He never did lose faith in the Eagles. And this Eagle team, which at one point was 2-5, and five, and after nine games, they were 3-6 and six after a really bad loss to the, I almost called them the San Diego Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers, here a couple months ago. They've won four in a row, six out of seven, and they're back in the postseason. So what do I know about a guy making flower metaphors? Because apparently he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Great that San Francisco and Green Bay helped the Eagles out to get them into the wild card round. Everything about the sanity of the city. That's what's foremost on my mind. What helps the sanity of the city and the Eagles making the playoffs <laughs> is a great thing. And I didn't realize this. Last time a first-year Eagles head coach got the team to the playoffs in his first year was all the way back in 1995. So, hey, some great stuff. I don't like to think about that 1995 playoff season for the Eagles too much. Oh, that's right. I, I, try I to leave that, about that. I try to yeah. leave that alone. We don't, we don't, we won't go too deep into that. That was just a very bad memory yes. for me as a 16-year-old. Remembering what happened when a certain team from the I Midwest forgot. came in here and got destroyed in Philadelphia. So I try to leave that whole thing alone. And while we, we look at the positive end of the spectrum with the Eagles getting into the postseason, long-suffering Eagle fans, after one year absence, the Eagles are back in the playoffs. And now we also lost a broadcast icon last Wednesday. John Madden, one of the signature names of pro football in the United States, where even if you don't really follow the sport of football, if you know the name John Madden from nothing other than just the iconic legendary video game that's attached to his name, 85 years old, last Wednesday, passed away just three days after this amazing documentary was shown on Christmas Day about his life. And most people forget John Madden, the winningest coach in NFL history, had a win percentage of over 75%, never had a losing season, won a Super Bowl with the Raiders. He was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. We tend not to think about that. There's this really cool picture of him wearing a number 77 Eagles jersey, and he had a moment where he didn't end up playing in the NFL, which is crazy to think about because of injuries, and he had a moment that suddenly changed things. 
If you go to KYWnewsradio.com, the great Dave Uram spoke with the also great Ray Didinger, who does so much for WIP and on NBC Sports Philadelphia. And they talked, Jay, about this under-the-radar part of John Madden's origin story and his connection to the Eagles. I didn't even realize it until John told me. You know, it was, it was just in a, in a casual conversation one time that he talked about the fact that, you know, I started my NFL career with the Eagles. And, you know, I was a fan back then, but I was just a kid. Right. I was 11, 12 years old. I wasn't paying attention to 20 first-round draft picks. He got hurt fairly early in training camp, so he never made much of an impression. He really says that if that hadn't happened and things hadn't gone down quite the way they went down, that he may have never gotten into coaching. Sabrina, I, I kind of feel for you because I know that as you follow sports ball as dutifully as you do, I feel like you would truly benefit from following someone like John Madden because the brilliance of him was he took something that is very, what I would say is complex football, probably the toughest of all the sports to understand, really get the intricacies and understand what's happening. And he broke it down so simply. That was his thing for the viewer watching on television. He did TV for um, three decades. And part of his brilliance was just like breaking down in very simple, digestible terms these complex things the average viewer and fan can understand it or turn on new fans to the game. The interesting thing about Madden as well, aside from him being maybe pro football's first true pop culture icon coming out of the 70s into the 80s when the league just completely took off, a lot of people of a certain generation only know him from the video game. And he was still very hands-on even into his 80s in that video game. John Madden lived basically three lives. He lived the life of a Hall of Fame coach then he was a legendary broadcaster, and then just he then is the face and name behind arguably the most popular video game franchise that doesn't involve the Super Mario Brothers. It's a stunning kind of tapestry of somebody's life that he was able to do this, and he goes on the Mount Rushmore of not just pro football but American sports. All of you listening couldn't see the look of recognition that dawned on my face when you mentioned the video game. So I was like, yeah, I know that, and I knew the name – John Madden, even though I don't really uh, follow, you know, sports all that much, but I knew the name and I know how big of a loss this is for sports ball fans out there. While we're doing a little miniature in memoriam, can we also just just give a quick moment of silence, RIP to Betty White? Oh, wow. Yes, of course. <sighs> that that really hit me, you know, like she was so close to 100 and she did. 18 days away. I was watching trailers for her 100th birthday celebration and everyone who's going to be on it. And then we actually didn't actually get there. But I did hear mathematically, I think she lived through like 24 leap years or something like that. So if you add in those extra days, we can all say it's canon that she made 100. She was born in 1922. I always marvel at people who live that long and the things that she's seen and that she was a part of and she she was an amazing comic mind. I think I've seen so many different clips of when she was on the Golden Girls and she would be able to just make people break character. Like she uh, apparently a lot of the random stories she told on Golden Girls, she was improvising a lot of that. Mm-hmm. There's a really hilarious clip of her completely breaking down B. Arthur and Rue <laughs> McClanahan at a table where they had to where, where she gets up and walks away and they're in tears laughing at the end of this. She was just so great with that. She was at the early days of television. She took a stand when producers of a show didn't want a black man on her show dancing. And she said, well, you're going to have to deal with it. And they ended up canceling the show, but she didn't care because she became a legend. Like, there's so many things. And I remember on New Year's Eve, I'm walking out of the store and I just happened to 
look at my phone and see the alert. And I just said, oh, you got to be kidding me. Maybe it was some slightly different language. But she's like, you got to be kidding me when that happens. Because, yeah, January 17th would have been her 100th birthday. And instead, we lose her right at the horn at the end of 2021. When you hear about things like this, the passing of iconic, legendary figures like Betty White, John Madden, it's sad. It's a bummer because for many people, people like them meant a lot to us. But what's really neat about both of their situations is Betty White was on Good Morning America not too long ago talking about her upcoming 100th birthday celebration. Sad that it's not going to happen, but it gave her a moment in the spotlight to reflect publicly on all the great things that she did. And I read a story that John Madden the producers of that documentary gave him and his family an advanced screening of the documentary on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. So he got to watch this documentary with his surrounded by his family right on the holidays. And he watched it a couple days before he passed away, which is really like one article said, quoted him as saying like he had no idea the impact, truly didn't have a, a great sense of the impact he had on the world of sports. And I think it's really nice that for the two of those legendary figures before they passed on, they had an opportunity to get a better sense of their contributions and what they did to make everyone enjoy their own lives a little bit more. I saw a tweet about Betty White. Really, this applies to John Madden as well, is that Betty White got her flowers while she was still here, where most people don't really hear about what you mean to them until after they're gone. Betty White and John Madden got that while they were still here. And and in Betty White's case, she had been getting those flowers for the better part of the last 20 years. She she was about to turn 100. She's 80 years old 20 years ago. And people started giving her that, especially after the rest of the group from the Golden Girls had all passed on. John Madden was the same way. They were able to get their love and their recognition before they were no longer with us. It's one of those things when you reflect back at the end of a year, you look back at the people you've lost, the things that have changed, the things that we've gained through all that. One of the things we gained throughout the last year was the rundown. And we now head into 2022 and are looking forward to continuing to do more and more of what we did in 2021. This is The Rundown, which is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. This show is produced by Sabrina Boyd Circa and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KYW News Radio is the great Tom Rickard. Me, I'm just J. Scott Smith. And you can follow me on Twitter at J. Scott Smith, Real J. Scott Smith on Instagram and Facebook. And you can hear me every afternoon on KYW News Radio starting at 3 o'clock for Philadelphia's Afternoon News. That's on 103.9 FM, 1060 AM, and right here on the Odyssey app. You'd be sure to follow The Rundown on Twitter at The Rundown PHL. Again, The Rundown PHL, all one word, on Twitter. And you can listen to us for free right here on the Odyssey app or just about wherever you get your podcast. So for Sabrina Boyd, Cirque, and Brian Seltzer, I'm Jay Scott Smith thanking you for checking out this Monday edition of The Rundown.